This podcast is sponsored by Zaner Bloser. Zaner Bloser supports the Reading League's important mission and is committed to helping educators be successful teachers of reading by publishing effective science of reading based curricula. This includes the Super Kids Reading Program and the Super Kids Family of Resources for grades K2. To discover whether the Super Kids Comprehensive Program, Foundational Skills Kit, and New Phonemic Awareness Curriculum are a good fit for your literacy goals and instructional approach, visit go.zanerbloser.com backslash league. That's go.zanerbloser.com slash league. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Teaching, Reading, and Learning, the TRL podcast. I am Laura Stewart, your host, and it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Sean Robinson to the podcast today. Sean Anthony Robinson has an amazing and inspiring story to share, and in this episode, you'll learn about his journey from special education to learning to read to going on to receive bachelor's, master's, and PhD degrees. You'll also hear about the scope and the impact of his work, which he describes as the intersection of race, giftedness, and dyslexia. And finally, you'll meet Dr. Dyslexia Dude, his autobiographical superhero graphic novel series. So as a way of introducing Dr. Robinson, I will read to you his biography. Sean Anthony Robinson, PhD, is a full-time reading instructor instructor at Madison College, a senior research associate in the Wisconsin's Equity and Inclusion Laboratory at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He is a social entrepreneur. He is co-founder of Dr. Dyslexia Dude. He is a former board member of the International Dyslexia Association, and he serves on the inaugural advisory council of Benetech, a nonprofit that empowers communities with software for social good. Dr. Robinson graduated from the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh with a Bachelor of Science in Human Services, a Master's in Education from DePaul University, and a PhD in Language and Literacy from Cardinal Stritch University. He has over 40 peer-reviewed publications, and he's received several distinguished honors throughout his career. He is also a life member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. So I know you join me in welcoming Dr. Sean Anthony Robinson to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Robinson. It's just such a delight to have you here and an honor to speak with you today and to meet you. Um, I just know your life experiences and what you have to share are just going to be really enriching for our audience. So thank you for being here today. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, um, so I'd like to kick it off with a question that I've been asking all of our guests recently, which is what is a saying that you live by and that you return to again and again? Um... <clears throat> I think something uh, as when we read to little kids, the little train story about, I think I can't choo choo. I always say that in every presentation I give or keynote, everyone's like, you're a little bit too old to be saying that, but it's really about life, right? Um, it's really about that mentality of believing I can do it. I think I can. And 
just of always moving forward regardless of you know how high the climb is going to be or how many obstacles are in front of us and we just got to keep moving we just got to keep believing in ourselves and saying i think i can choo choo like a little, <laughs> little train it's I like you're the, you're, the, you're the conductor right because essentially you, you are the conductor of your own life like you you're the one that um has the power to continue or you have the power to stop so um essentially you know you are um driving your own train and so um it just i know it's kind of cliche it's probably um, you know, for adults saying, why are you saying choo-choo, choo-choo, <laughs> but I mean, you just got to keep moving um, and you just got to keep moving forward and, and just keep believing in yourself. That's awesome. And I, I like what you said about, you know, you are the conductor, you are conducting your own life, right? Um, and that, that's certainly, I mean, that whole idea of just continuing to move forward, it seems to be really applies to your life and what you've done. Um, and so that's what I'd like for you to share with our listeners, you know, tell us about your journey. And I know you published your story in From Special Education to Doctorate in Language and Literacy, My Journey. Um, so tell us about your journey. Tell us, um, tell us about your, your life as a little boy and how you were impacted with dyslexia. Tell us that story. Uh, <clears throat> my story is, you know, probably uh, not any different than, you know, most, most kids going through the, the K-12 system, you know. Uh, uh, I really just found myself, you know, as an outsider, you know, not just because of my race being a, you know, biracial, but people just see me as African-American or black, um, but, you know, just the fact that I couldn't read, you know, so I had both of those, um, you know, really uh, felt like I was, a, I was an outsider. And even, you know, growing up in a single parent household and my, my mother uh, being Caucasian, you know, she was like, you know, my son is going to be successful. He's going to be somebody. And even when I was younger uh, and talking to her about some of my experiences that I can't really remember, you know, she said the earliest uh, memory for her was that um, when I was in uh, kindergarten going into, you know, first grade, um, they wanted to put me into self-contained classes with all black boys. And she said that it resembled a prison, like the learning environment. She said there was not any real books on the tables. The kids were running around. Uh, there was barely any curtains on the windows. The teacher had their feet up on the desk, you know, and my mom asked, well, where are the other kids, implying white kids or, you know, other other kids, you know, because education is a melting pot of, you know, kids of all different nationalities. And she was like, oh, they go to another school. They go to another district. And my mom was like, wait, what? Like, my son's not going to be in this type of environment. So we moved to a different district uh, <clears throat> where it was predominantly Caucasian. Uh, middle upper class suburb, suburban uh, Chicago, North uh, Chicago suburbs, uh, Wilmette, uh, Evanston area. And um, so as I went to Wilmette, I still felt like I was the other, you know, not just because of my skin and my nationality culture, but the fact that I couldn't read. And um, that just boiled out into my behavioral issues, man. And I found myself getting constantly in trouble even in middle school, like I was constantly in the principal's office getting removed. Um, you know, I would, you know, um, find ways to um, remove myself from, from class. I would pick my nose to a bleed. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't bleed, like, but I tried to do anything I could to uh, avoid reading or learning. Like anything I could do to get out, I did. Um, if, if it was inappropriate behavior, 
And so that just followed me all the way through uh, pretty much high school. And when I got to high school, it just manifested itself and got worse. It was like a uh, a uh, Olympic bobsled team. Like my behavior just went south fast. It was just it was just um, uncontrollable. I had no control of of my behavior um, and found myself constantly getting in trouble with the law, fighting, um, saying inappropriate things, cursing, throwing chairs at teachers, like. I was just, uh, I had no self-control. I, I didn't love myself. And even um, my sophomore year, uh, before I, I got sent to the um, alternative high school for two years, I had a, a coach that said to me, uh, you know, he called me into his office. He was like, look, everything I've done to this point has not worked. By the time you're 18, you're going to be dead or you're going to be in jail. Like he was just came out and just said this to me. And he said, you know, I want you to try one more thing. And I'm like, okay, you know, at the time, you know, I was like, whatever, because I want you to coach Special Olympics. I want you to be a, a peer mentor. I want you to be a coach. And I'm like, why are you asking me to be a coach? Like, I can barely, you know, coach myself. Like, no, let's try to coach somebody else. And uh, I've been a coach over 20 years, coaching Special Olympics. Um, even though I was unable to read in high school and still didn't have a, a identity as a student, you know, um, I found my place coaching Special Olympics. It gave me a voice. It allowed me to find my leadership skills. It allowed me to really find a community where I felt accepted, uh, regardless of my color, regardless of my um, academic ability. I found a place where I could flourish and, and, and just, you know, um, I learned so much about myself um, coaching Special Olympics um, and being a peer mentor to a lot of the athletes that I had coached. And um, it really allowed me to find my leadership skills. And even after I got sent to the uh, term of high school for two years, um, <clears throat> one of the things that my teachers at a term of high school um, worked with me on was my behavior. Uh, most of it was not academic, it was all mostly behavior plan because like that's, that's everything in my IEP was behavior. And so um, I just had a lot of great teachers um, at my term of high school and even at the regular high school that just believed in me, even though it wasn't, academic per se it was just allowing me to love myself allowing me to feel like um, I'm, I'm worth something uh, I'm a, a, a value um, but I still couldn't read I could I still couldn't spell I was still angry and so going into my junior year uh, my high school counselor told my mother and I that um, I was not college material she was like Sean's not going to be pretty much anything he's not going to make it like college on the option form like all the negative you know things that I can't do yeah and my mom was like, no, 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 no. My son's going to be somebody. Like, he's going to go to school. He's going to get out of my house. He's not going to be living with me. Like, he's going he's gonna to go. Uh, and, and so um, she was at a, a beauty salon, over, overheard some parents talking about a, a college for adult learners with dyslexia. And so she called the uh, professor at that time, director, Dr. Robert T. Nash. And she was like, I need help. I need help. Like no one's helping us. I need to figure out why my son can't read. And, you know, I need to, I need, I need answers. I have a lot of questions. I need answers. So he was like, come on, let's meet. So, you know, my mom was shocked that, you know, that he took the time to meet with us. And so we're driving from, you know, Wilmette to Oshkosh, Wisconsin in the blizzard. I'm kicking, screaming, throwing a temper tantrum like a little kid. Cause I was immature. Like, you know I mean? I, I was immature. It's just, it's just what it is, what it is. And I was telling, I was telling my mom that I'm not going to make it. And 
I'm too slow. I'm too dumb. I'm stupid. Cause that's, that's things I heard. Like that's things that people told me, teachers, kids. And so it kind of manifested itself in my mind. And I, I kind of was um, speaking into existence. And so my mom pulled over and she called him and she was like, you know, between my son throwing a temper tantrum and the snowstorm, we're just going to turn around and go home and we're just going to cancel the meeting. And Dr. Nash was like, no, no, no. He was like, no snowstorms to stop you from getting your education. So my mom gets back in the car. She takes off. We get there. It's still a blizzard. <clears throat> he called me to his office and, you know, he pulls out at the time. I didn't know what it was, but the Wilcock Johnson, some, some batteries, uh, sub, sub test. And so he asked me to go through some tests. And then we get to the, the spelling. He was like, I want you to spell the word Kane. And I was like, okay, easy. I was like, K-A-M. I mean, that's how it sounds, right? I mean, and so he asked me to do some other um, spelling test. And he comes back to it and basically pretty much says to me, uh, you are one of the most illiterate kids I've ever met in my life. Uh, you are uh, extremely dyslexic, illiterate. I mean, he just came out and told me like it wasn't anything shy about it. He was said, um, the system has failed you. You have been failed. Like you literally have been failed. And he said, but you know what? I see something in you. I see a, I see a gift in you. Not saying that dyslexia is a gift, but I see something in you. And I want to help you, but it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of work. So he's like, you know, I'm going to accept you into my program, but it doesn't guarantee you're accepted into the university. But he said, by the fact that I accept you, you have a higher chance of getting into the institution, to the university. And I was like, my mom's crying, I'm crying, he's crying, everyone's crying. It's like a karate party, right? Because, I mean, it was a lot of the questions that, that my mom was looking for, he had the answers to. And so uh, we get home, I, I tell a lot of my, my teachers, and you know, some believed me, some didn't believe me at all, some thought I was making it up. Um, so my mom filled out all my college applications, my FAFSA form, my essay. She did it all because literally I, I couldn't do it. Like I, I probably my attention span probably won't let me do it either because, you know, I was all over the place, like a little, you know, um, uh, pinball machine. I was just, I couldn't sit still for more than five minutes. I was on Ritalin too. And so um, um, <clears throat> I got my acceptance letter for the university and uh, two weeks after I graduated, I started his uh, summer remedial program, and I, I graduated high school uh, with an elementary education level. So everything, uh, reading, word attack, mathematics, spelling, all that was at a fifth grade level and below. And so here I am, an 18-year-old out of high school with elementary level. And um, I mean, I was, I was scared. You know, I was, I was scared. I was immature still. Like, you know, somebody... Doctor Doctor Nash just uh, gave me he gave me life he gave me he gave, gave me hope you know he he took me out of uh, uh, a, a, a dark dark place in, in my life and 
the people that helped me, him and Dr. Kitts and Becca and, and Mike Flanagan, the, the, the people that he had trained before, you know, and that were um, people who I, um, mm -hmm. who I interacted with throughout my, my journey. Um, he, 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 saved, he saved my life academically because no, ma no matter how, how many accomplishments I had in the academy, publications, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, no, that's, that stuff's irrelevant. Like, that stuff is, is secondary. That's to please people in the academy. All the things I've got to this point is because, not just because of my mother and the people who I had in my life, it's because Dr. Nash gave me life. He, he gave me a purpose, you know? Yeah, I'm spiritual. I believe in higher power. You know, it's all divine intervention. He was my angel, my guardian angel, but he literally taught me how to read at 18 literally he helped me understand how to crack the code he literally told me how to take things apart and put it together like a construction worker decode encode he taught me everything about phonological awareness having the ability to understand you know onset rhymes stress patterns syllable types he taught me all this stuff so he made me a little linguistic scholar when i'm 18 years old got me up on the board did old school uh, Orton Gillingham multi-century instruction. The very first word he taught me how to spell to break apart was monochromatism. What am I supposed to do with the word monochromatism? Like I'm, I'm 18 years old, I'm at an elementary level, but his thing was, if I can teach you how to crack a code of a multi-syllabic word, you're gonna be able to see patterns and other words that you come across. And you're gonna be aware of those. And that's that, that whole phonological awareness. You're gonna be able to just be aware and you're gonna be able to just have it come natural to you. And it's gonna be connecting. And it's just gonna make things easier for you. And he got me on the board and you know, what's the first sound you hear? What's the second sound you hear? What's the third sound you hear? What's the fourth, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth? And then he would say, let's underline each sound and let's blend it together. And then let's break it apart and let's say it by syllables. And so. He gave me appreciation of language and he allowed me to really understand just how to attack words and how to just appreciate a language that's so complex, has so many different rules and very, you know, um, can be stressful, time management too, psychologically, because you put so much energy into it. But he just taught me how, how to, how to, how to uh, crack the code. It was very easy. It wasn't, it wasn't rocket science. It wasn't something that, you know, uh, took years to master. Literally, once he gave me the skill, I just grabbed it and I just ran with it. And I just kept moving and I kept going like a little train. Choo-choo. I just kept, I kept, um, I just kept, I kept wanting more education. And even in my undergrad degree, I had professors that failed me and said, Sean, you shouldn't be here. You're not college material. We don't think you'll be a good teacher. So they kicked me out of the education program and said, you should do something different. So I heard all that stuff. Like I, I heard it all in undergrad. And so even as an undergrad, I had to, I had to um, take a lot of supp supplemental courses or remedial courses because I wasn't at par to the college level. I used academic support services, the reading, the math, the writing, I used it all. Um, so six years, I, I graduated, it was a long six years, but I got my degree. And it's something that people can never take from me because you, I've earned it. It wasn't given to me. I earned it. I, I earned it. And so even after that, I decided I wanted to get more education because I wanted to 
be able to help kids like myself uh, who struggle academically, not just reading, but just, you know, overall, you know, with just self-esteem. And so I went on and got a master's in school counseling at DePaul University. Um, and that took me five years to get a degree. Um, and then I wasn't done yet. I said I wanted more, more school, more, more knowledge. And but I really wanted to learn more about dyslexia. It was always in my mind about dyslexia because even in my master's program, undergrad, a lot of people talked about, you know, reading disabilities and learning disabilities. So I fit that category. And so when I was reading a lot of this, this material, like, I was like, that's me. Like, that's, that's me. I've lived it before. So I went on and enrolled in a PhD program. And I was kind of like the outcast because most of the people in the uh, PhD program were all um, teacher trained, you know, pre, uh, you know, undergrad masters. And I came from a different background completely. And uh, um, I wasn't afraid to use the D word. And a lot of my professors didn't like the D word because they came from a whole language perspective. So I found myself um, bumping heads with faculty members, but I didn't care. Like I was like, your power doesn't intimidate me. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, be intimidated by you. I've lived this stuff. I, I know what students need. But also gave me a really appreciation of just reading overall, like things I never thought about, right? And things that I would never think about because um, Dr. Nash didn't really teach those to me. So it gave me a, a, a better understanding uh, about theoretical frameworks and just things that just started connecting with me. And I actually, um, I had two professors that failed me and told me to, to drop out the program. Uh, and um, I didn't drop out the program, but it hurt. Like it brought back memories from, from undergrad and K-12 system where teachers, you know, tried to put me in a box and tell me what I couldn't do. And, and so I retook their course and I, I passed. And then, um, so after seven years, I earned my, my PhD. And so I was in school uh, 18 straight years after high school, literally eight, 18 years straight of uh I'm tired, uh, and uh, it's been a, a long road, but I, I guess I would never um, ask for anything different because I tell kids it's made me who I am today. I have appreciation for failure, so when I do fail, it's it's nothing to me anymore. It's just part of life, and so um, those 18 years of, of just ups and downs and failures and trials and tribulations and emotional toll and... Um, you know, it just, it's made me who I am today as a husband, a father, you know, uh, a, a, a advocate for, you know, reading instruction, mental health. Like it just, it's made me a, a better person. It's given me a, a better appreciation of life uh, and uh, what, what not to take for granted and, and be thankful for all the blessings that come my way because um, I had to work for it. Like nothing, nothing came in. It wasn't given to me. It, it, it yeah. Sorry. I kind of, I kind of rambled on there for a little bit. Sorry. First of all, your story is so compelling and obviously it's moving. It's moving. I mean, it's so, I can just feel the emotion still in your voice as you tell the story, especially of Dr. Nash and, um, you know, and, and the people along the way, you know, who believed in you, like your, your coach, what was your coach's name? The coach who put you in the special Olympics role? Um, uh, I had, um, you know, I had coach Carpenter, so coach Carpenter. I had a coach Taviano. So coach yeah, so thank you for lifting up those people that, you know, kind of believed in you and supported you. But the, the greatest story here is is your story. I mean, you you persisted, you continued, you did not give up. 
Um, and I think that is just such a, a term that, that that has to be such a tremendous story to share with other students who might be in the same place you are. And I'm wondering if that's really then what has driven your work. You know, I read I read in your bio in your bio that you focus on the intersection of race, giftedness, and dyslexia. And I also saw that in your scholarly work, you really focus a lot on the need for African-American students' voices to be central to their learning. So does, does that really come from this background, from what you've experienced? Yeah, I think, I think all my lived experiences have really been at the forefront of uh, what has motivated me, not just about race, you know, but just kids in general. You know, I want, I want to be able to have kids to know that they can be successful they can't make it, you know, because special education, and some people may disagree, that's fine. It's it's a dumping dumping ground for a lot of students, particularly those from, you know, lower uh, SES communities, underserved communities, people don't have the resources or capital, the parents that can provide lawyers to, you know, navigate them through. It's a warehouse. They just warehouse them, and then they get out, and they they lost. You know, they're trying to figure out the way to navigate the world and um, they're trying to figure out, you know, their place in the world and they're trying to figure out, you know, how they can, you know, put food on the table or get a job to take care of themselves or their family. And so it's hard out there if you don't know how to read. The world doesn't care about you. You know, um, on, your, on, your, on your website, the drdyslexiadude.com website, you have a series of blogs. And I was reading Tracy Whedon's um, recent blog. She's the... For those our listeners who might not know, Tracy Whedon's the president and the CEO of the Nyhouse Education Center. And actually, she was a recent guest on our podcast. She wrote a really, I thought, very moving piece about the effects of poverty and illiteracy. And she quoted Frederick Douglass in saying that it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I thought that was so wise and so... Um, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it, it, it's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, um, we need to start when they're when they're young, right? Not not even before, you know when they're in their their the mother's womb. Like for my sons, when they were before they were even born, I was reading the Psalms to them. You know, at uh, you know, I was like literally reading the Psalms to them so they could become familiar with it when they get out. And so, you know, when they're young, it's very important to ha have that accessibility. You know, that they're exposed to this. But we know that not every kid is exposed to this. And so they go through a system, system neglects them, they get out, then, then what? Like I see it at the community college. I see, you know, grown adults who are, you know, reading out of elementary level and that's, I, I can relate to them, you know, and it's work, but I love it. It's, 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 you know, it's to me, it's the, it's the gospel. It's, it's getting out there, you know, as my reverend says, uh, feet to the street, it's, it's mission work. You know, it's really, uh, you know, a lot of these adults, yes, they are broken, but but they've been neglected, they've been failed, and so um, you know, it's it's now my job to try to teach them the skills that I was taught, so they become independent and become, you know, whatever they want to do, they can become successful at. You know, one thing one thing you said that I want to return to, um, you said that when when Dr. Nash finally just opened up this world to you by teaching you, you know, about the how do, how do phonemes work? How do graphemes map to phonemes? You know, how do we decode a word? Um, the alphabetic code that you know, once you were exposed to that and you were taught that, that just opened up a whole world to you. 
Um, and it just feels like, you know, that that is that is such a missing link for many of our kids is exposing the mystery of how language works, how the code works. Yeah, I mean that's 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 all it was. In, in fact, he, uh, I'm not sure if this podcast is going to be audio or uh, video, but yeah, uh, both actually, yeah. Okay, well, there's Webster Clicks Dictionary. I have about ten of them in my office at home, and I use them. And that's how he taught me. It was very simple. Like he wasn't, you know, anything was complex. He opened up a dictionary, went to a word, and we studied it. We 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 connected the phonemes with the graphemes, and we talked about syllable types and the accent that marks and us and we I mean that's that's all it was and it, it just gave me a, a whole appreciation for for language and I became a sponge and I just grabbed on to it and and then uh you know before Dr. Nash passed away he he actually studied this dictionary for 30 years of his of his life the entire dictionary from the front to the back and so he de he developed a, a a system that's based on the dictionary and in 2017, before he um, he passed away, um, he signed all, all signed all all his work over to me and said, "It's your turn to continue my work." So um, I have a lot of shoes, you know, to fill, and I feel like you know I ha I have a lot to learn still. But um, now I have taken it and I've applied it to um, the college I'm at, the community college. And uh, last semester we had a pilot program, very successful. Now. I have three three courses with 12 students in each class, adult learners that uh, either have a diagnosed learning disability or um, identified as ESL learners, and I love it. It's, I wake up every day, and I yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask you more about that. Well, first of all, yeah, what a great legacy, you know, that he he entrusted you with his legacy. What a wonderful, you know, what a wonderful tribute to you and the work that you're doing. And this is your this is at Madison College, right? And there's a Learning Differences Innovation Center. And you teach a word analysis course and other courses there. Tell yeah, tell us more about that. And are these students who are are they are they students who are identified with dyslexia um, that come to this innovation center? Every, every everything. This dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, probably. Uh, I mean, you you name it. Uh, uh, majority of them, a good 80% have a le learning disability. It's either, it's either been diagnosed or it's not diagnosed. Um, and then the other uh, portion are um, adult learners who are learning, wanting to learn English, you know, who want to learn how to crack the, co crack the, crack the code. And so um, like I said, Dr. Nash, he left me all his work from, you know, um, pretty much the 1970s until he passed away. So I have books, ancient books that are, that are uh, goldmine books that a lot of people, you know, uh, may or may not know about. And then also, um, when I when I when I read uh, "Speech to Print" by uh, Dr. Um, Louisa Moltz, it's so parallel to Dr. Nash's work. I mean, it's it's just like literally like it's a mirror to each other. And so um, I just merged them together, uh, the concepts, and I developed a 16-week course um, and. I'm looking forward to uh, this this journey. You know, I'm learning. I'm interested in learning from them, and I'm also, you know, just I'm excited about this this opportunity. Like I said, last last semester when I taught it, um, it was more of a pilot program. Um, it, it it was um, not as organized. I have to admit because it was brand new, so I had to learn a lot of things over the summer. But they took a pre and post test, 
and on their on their uh, post test, uh, one of the things that I wrote in the blog was, um, uh, even though it was modest gains, you can't say it's significant, you know, but for a community college student, it's, it's, this is significant. The fact that they were able to read street signs, like one student said, Dr. Robinson, now I can read street signs. I can look at the street sign and decode it and read it. Or I can look at the menu and read the menu. That's significant to them. Into a research world, that's, that's not significant. But in the real world, the real application, that is significant. And even the students um, you know, had stamina in their reading ability and uh, confidence too, because at the uh, pretest, they weren't able to finish all the subtests. And at the end, they finished all of them. So again, you know, in the researcher world, they say that it might not be significant, but in the real world, well, the work that I do, it's significant for these students. It, it's everything for them to, to be able to build that confidence, that stamina, you know, that's, that's, that's real life. It's, it's, it's not, you know, a, um, a fancy world. This, this is the real, the real deal that we're working with. You know, we're saving. So oh, I'm sorry. I was to say that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I kind of ramble on so much because I, I get kind of, uh, I'm just agreeing with you. This just sounds incredible. So I'm going to, I know there's an informational video about this learning differences innovation center. I'm going to put that in the show notes so people can check out that video. Because that's a new, it's a new, it's a basically a new program that you developed. Is that right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a new program. Uh, they, the community college hired me because uh, they knew I had expertise, and um, you know, I, I tried to to apply for um, other institutions, uh, four-year institutions, and everyone said I wasn't qualified enough or I didn't have enough experience. And those are all cold words that we don't want to hire you, uh, black. So um, the community college said, hey, "Come on, we're, we're going to take your expertise. We're going to utilize your strength, and we're going to." We, we, we want the knowledge you have to help our students. And it was, you know, again, um, divine intervention, you know, all these years of having to deal with, you know, um, people in the academy question my credentials, where I went to school, where I published, what's my, uh, you know, background, is it quantitative, qualitative? I don't have time for all that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care about trying to please people in the academy anymore. Like, my, my job is greater than um, what, what publication venue I published in or, what grant I got. Like, I don't care about that stuff. And if it comes out, I, if I get in trouble for saying this, hey, big deal. My mission, my mission life is to help kids. My mission life is to help adults learn to read. And if it's through the community college, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, they've already wanted to partner with the school district to get some kids enrolled in my, in my, uh, in my class in the spring, uh, particularly high school students, um, do enrollment. So, I'm going to go where I can make a difference. And if it's not at a four-year institution because of politics, then, hey, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm again, you know, I'm, 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 I'm secure with myself. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful family, two, two loving boys. My mental health is good. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, to serve. When we talk about higher education, they talk about service, right? And this is service. This is this is the real deal. This is the application. This is not just talking about theory. This is actually applying it. So um, I'm just, I'm just very blessed. You know, some people might say I'm, I'm, I'm angry, I'm bitter and, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very blessed to be able to give back because I'm going to die eventually, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to die and, um, you know, I can't take this stuff with me. So I might as well be able to, to give what I've learned to other people so that it can make their life better. Um, you know, as they navigate, you know, their, their, their own academic journey. And so, um, you know, I've had I've had uh, people in the academy uh, who don't look like me email me and tell me they don't see me as an equal 
Um, they don't they don't see me as you know being uh, you know a, a, a researcher because I don't fit their their line of thinking or their their mold or their ethnic background. So I, I just keep it moving in uh, like a little train. Choo choo. I was just I gonna just, say choo choo. Just keep moving I, I, forward. I, keep, uh, I let I let my I let my work speak for itself. You know I have a I have a successful track record. You know I've worked in uh, communities uh, with Pastor Dupree. When he was a pastor in Appleton, Wisconsin, he, he allowed me to uh, run a, uh, a summer literacy program at his church. Um, and um, it had two sections. I had, um, well, first it started with just 10 adolescents. And after about the third third week, parents came to him and said, hey, uh, pastor, can we get a class for, for us, for adults? So the pastor came to me and said, hey, uh, Dr. Robinson, would you mind um, doing a session for the parents? I said, I said, not a problem. I said, it's fine. So we had two, two, two classes going at the church. It was the uh, kids and then the adults right afterwards. But what happened was that um, it became merged together. So the, the kids and the adults were in the same classroom together. The kids were helping the adults. And, it was, and the pastor there was sitting back like giving fist pumps because it was a learning community. It, it was people having conversations and having an ability to analyze words analytically and synthetically and that's what that's what instruction is and being able to analyze and really understand phonological awareness and onset and rhymes and you know just having the conversation having that ability to have an awareness of words and meanings of words and so um you know and one one, one of the mothers that i remember um had the greatest impact on me um she she was um had a you know a lengthy background of doing some things and you know getting in the legal system and and she was working on changing her life her son was in my class too and the last word she said to me was dr robinson you changed my life forever i want to now get involved in a pta like how many parents want to get involved with pta like i mean i'm not really involved with PTA. i mean i'm involved but i'm not involved like she literally wanted to get involved and have a voice at the table about reading with her son. Like she wanted to go to PTA and talk about what instruction you're using. And, and then, you know, her, uh, unfortunately her life was taken short by domestic violence, but uh, uh, she just really had a, um, an impact on me. And I also did another, another class um, at a Hispanic church, same type of um, impact results. I've done stuff at a boys and girls club, summer literacy program I developed, same type of impact with students. Um, I've done stuff in prisons, um, so I've had I've had experiences across the board. Um, it's only prepared me for the work that I'm doing now at the community college because the world is a melting pot. You know, uh, there's people from all different walks of life, and um, you know, I just get excited. You know, I'm just this this is my life. This is my my mission. I don't need any you know um, social media groups to give me permission about the work I do, or uh, I just I love what I do. Yeah, I mean, I think it. You, I mean, clearly you're an example and what the examples you gave here, are, it's, it's all about like pay it forward, right? I mean, you've been given this and so you're going to pay it forward to someone else who's going to continue to pay it forward. Um, yeah, that's really, that's terrific. I wanted to ask you about, um, you mentioned working in prisons and I wanted to talk a little bit about this research. In 2014, you examined the impact of a reading curriculum on the spelling and reading abilities of adult inmates across five prisons in Wisconsin. And you trained 20 teachers for a 15 week intervention. 
and your results indicated that the student's reading performance on all reading measures exceeded that of the control group, suggesting the efficacy of implementing pure and complete phonics. Do I have that correct? Yeah, that was Dr. Nash. That's Dr. Nash's curriculum. So um, Dr. Nash had a lot of uh, a lot of work in the uh, Wisconsin prison uh, system, and then so um, the uh, the uh, director of education knew about Dr. Nash's work, and so um, they wanted to um, um, just do a kind of like a, a pilot sample. And, and this was really my my first like research study because I'm more of a qualitative person. So um, just having the ability to um, train some teachers on his uh, method, and um, one of the teachers that had the the probably the best gains was somebody who came from a whole language perspective. And she was open to a new approach and she just took it and ran with it. Like she just excelled. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's accurate. You know, there were some, some uh, issues with fidelity, fidelity because some teachers that were trained decided to do their own thing and go off on their own, you know, journey, which, you know, is always a, an issue. And so um, it was just a, a really great experience to be able to, uh, to do that with Dr. Nash. That was probably my first and last time that I had to do, uh, do a training with him, and I learned a lot. Oh, that's so. Was he was he was he alive to see the results? Um, yes. Oh, good. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, I want you to introduce introduce us to Doctor Dyslexia Dude. Um, these two volumes that you and your co-author, who you call your dudette, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and your illustrator, who's a fabulous illustrator. Just talk to us about what, I mean, is it your story? Is the hero you? Um, and what are the impacts that, the, that, this, that these books are having on young readers? Yeah, so um, we're, the reason we wrote Dr. Dyslexia is because, you know, I mean, let's be honest, parents are not reading peer-reviewed journal articles. I mean, they're not, I mean, I know parents picking up a, a themed uh, special issue or edit a book and wants to read it, right? And so or no kid. And so I was thinking like, how can I make my work more accessible? And so I was talking to my wife one day, I said, we should just try to make a comic book or a graphic novel. Don't know how it's gonna, you know, do, but let's just try something different. Let's be unique. And so uh, we just took basically things out of my dissertation and we wrote volume one and it took off. And we are like, wait. And so we wrote volume two and that took off too. And we're, we, we had no idea like it was gonna take off the way it has. Um, in fact, uh, volume one, we have sold just under 7,000 copies. And our goal is to sell 10,000 copies. And once we hit 10,000 copies, 20% uh, of our, uh, once we sell 10,000 copies, 20% of our profit is going into the um, International Dyslexia Association because my wife and I, I want to start a scholarship for, 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 for families to receive tutoring service or something that will help with accessibility, you know, in terms of covering the cost. And um, the book has, has an impact. Like I, we, we get emails all the time from teachers, parents, kids, just thanking us for writing something that's culturally responsive, that has a character of color in it, um, to, you know, giving kids hope. I mean, it's just, it, it's uh, amazing what type of impact it's having on, uh, on kids. Um, you know, I've been to Jamaica, um, presenting on it, uh, Canada. Um, I've been to symposiums, opening up symposiums, that reading symposium at MIT a couple years ago in my, my costume. Um, I just think it's a different way of looking 
um, at reading, you know, and particularly we know that comics and graphic novels are a way to engage students and hook them in reading. Um, that's what we want to do is hook them. And um, we have volume three coming out um, October. Oh, fantastic. Um, Yep, it's uh, we have uh, we've added three new characters um, to it, and it's going to be a, um, a decodable text theme that's um, culturally responsive, authentic, and realistic. Uh, and so, uh, we we had uh, Dr. Uh, Marion Wolf kind of do like a beta reader for us before we sent it out to um, to get illustrated, and we got some great feedback from her, and so. Uh, we're just going to keep writing these books, you know, try to try to get them out into the hands of as many kids as we can. Um, one of the things also was affordability. You know, a lot of parents can't afford expensive books. So our, our first book is uh, only uh, $4.95. Our second book is uh, $5.95. And we haven't decided the third book yet, but it's going to be affordable. And that's important, like getting things in the hands of kids that they can have hope. They have something they can you know, resembles them and their experience because if it's black or dyslexia or learning disability, they can connect to. And that's that's all a part about what Dr. Nash taught me was having appreciation to connect to what I'm doing, to my reading and understand what I'm doing and how it can help me navigate my 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 world, my life. And so um we just wanted to try something different and um and it, it took off. Oh, that's fit. So, Sean, are these books written for a particular age range of of students, of kids? Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, we get that question a lot. So, the first two books, if you're doing like a read aloud, you know, elementary school. But if a kid wants to read it independently, if they're you know, probably middle school and up, you know, maybe higher elementary, but uh, most are independent, probably be middle school and up. Got it. Okay. And is the, um, is the, is the, what's the, what's the name of the hero in the story? What's the name of the young, the young guy in the story? Uh, Dr. Dyslexia Dude? Yeah. Uh, that's... By him, um, that's just, um, it's, it's Sean. Oh, um, okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 But we, 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 we have three, three new characters coming out in the third book. I think it's really going to change the, 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 the narrative and the game of how um, decodable texts are potentially um, looked at and how they are written, um, particularly not just for students with dyslexia, but students um, from you know different ethnic backgrounds. So, so the third tech, the third volume is uh, is decodable text. Yes, it's going to be a decodable text. Yep, uh, working uh, um, particularly on um, onset rhymes too, and uh, but more through like a hip hop lens, you know, like a. a, a rapping hip-hop because we also want to make it culture responsive and get, get kids engaged it's going to have a urban feel to it too like a chicago i'm not giving a lot of way but it's going to have a lot of a lot of themes to it that i think are going to really resonate with with kids and get them engaged and spark their interest and open their mind to imagination that's what that's what you know decoding is and that's what encoding is and that's what you know science of reading is supposed to do to kids is let them imagine, let them play around with stuff, let them be a construction worker, let them take things apart, put things together, let them you know, understand that they can be able to master this complex language with a little help. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it sounds fabulous. You know, um, I was talking to somebody not too long ago and she's a, she's a teacher who works with struggling readers, specifically in the middle school um, age range. And she had been working with this, um, with this young man and she'd been just kind of taking him through, 
you know, phoneme graphing mapping, onset rhyme, you know, um, syllabication. And, you know, once, you know, once, you know, he, he kind of had insight into how that language works and what those squiggly lines on the page mean, he, he looked at her and he said, why didn't somebody tell me this before? <laughs> I mean, why didn't somebody just explain how the language works before? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's important, you know, uh, it's, a, it's important to explain things. So I'm leaning forward so I can try to hear a little bit too. Uh, it's just, it's important. It's important to, you know, uh, uh, to explain these things in, in depth so students can visualize it and they can see it and see how it's all connected and then they can comprehend it. And if you think about the four part processor, right? Like we had the phonological, orthography, meaning, you know, in context, like having, the ability to understand it and how to use it and how to see it and how it applies to life. Yeah, a friend of mine recently sent me a photo from a classroom and the teacher has the four-part processor in the classroom so that she can say to kids, this is what we're learning, this is why we're learning it, this is how your brain is is functioning here. And she said it's just the kids love it because it's 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 saying this is what's behind the curtain, right? You know, reading doesn't have to be mysterious. We can unlock this for you, and this is what your brain is is doing in the act of reading. Yes, and actually, I'm um, I do the same thing at the community college. So before we even get into actual, you know, Orton Gillingham instruction or multi-sensory instruction, and really learn about phonemes, graphemes, and before we even do that, we watch three videos, and we have a discussion about the videos. So it gives them an understanding of what they're getting into and how it's connected. One of the videos we watch is about the four-part processor. I love it. I mean, I, I think it's just great. I mean, that teacher. Yeah, exactly, I mean, right? Just... <laughs> yeah, let's re let's remove the veil, you know? I mean, I, I talk, I think about my own self as a teacher and, um, you know, I, I feel like as a, as a beginning teacher, I did a lot of teaching around reading, you know, like a kind of, like activities surrounding reading, but never really getting to the core of what reading is. Um, and I do think that's one thing that you, you've talked about a lot here today. And, you know, the whole idea of the science of reading really is to unlock that mystery in very direct ways for kids. Yeah, and, you know, it's, and unfortunately, you know, when we had this conversation about the science of reading or however people wanted to, you know, define it, you know, there's a population that, that are completely neglected from the conversation. When we think about the science of reading, it's really to train early education teachers, right? I mean, you know, K through third, fourth grade, maybe some middle school, right? But what about the adolescents? What about the adult learners? They should be learning this stuff too. Like they, they are just as capable of learning this stuff as a, a younger kid. I'm not saying that younger uh, early education is not important. It is, you need to start there but there's pockets of learners that are not being served with this curriculum and particularly adolescents and adult learners, you know, community colleges, uh, community um, organizations, you know, literacy networks, like they're not focusing on this type of methodology or approach in, the, in their, um, their classes. And so that's why we see a lot of issues with retention, you know, students are not being retained and have to take the same course over and over again and they get frustrated and they drop out, you know, because they can't master, you know, college reading strategy courses that focus more on strategies versus 
this science of reading. So if we give them the science of reading as a prerequisite before they get into the college reading courses, it'll make a lot more sense to them. It'd be a lot easier for them to make connections, you know, in, in, in vocabulary and build their vocabulary, you know, scientific terminology and Latin and Greek. It'd just be a lot easier for them. I mean, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, you've, um, I, as I was, you know, going through your information about your, um, your experiences, you know, you've received a lot of honors for the work that you're doing. And I know you share your research, you share Dr. Dyslexia Dude. Um, I saw that during the Obama administration, you gave a presentation at the White House to the director of My, Brother Keeper, My, Brother's, My Brother's Keeper Initiative. Um, and I understand you just did a TED Talk. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, what was that first... like? What was your TED Talk like? Uh, it was like talking in a, in a closet, dark, with a light, flashlight on me. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it was a small, it was a smaller venue, I think, because of COVID, really, they it really limited the number of people. So I could really only see the people like in the front. I really couldn't see the people behind because it was, it was, uh, you know, pitch black, essentially with the light on you. And you get, you know, 18 minutes, you know, to... Talk about you know your your story, your research, whatever you know they they um, contact you for to do, and so um, I had eighteen minutes to talk about my my life in eighteen minutes. <laughs> well, I'll I'll definitely have to put the uh, link the link in the show notes for for our listeners. Yeah one 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 of the things um, you know as you talk about accolades, I mean you know life brings us accolades. If we don't get them, I'm okay with it. I don't like search out and say, hey, I want this accolade. But there's one accolade that really stands out to me the most. Of all the experiences that I had, and a lot of students, when I had an office in person, they would say, Dr. Robinson, you don't have any of your diplomas up. You don't have your undergrad, your master's, your PhD diploma up, or you don't have anything like any other professors. Like, you're just a plain office. And I said, well, that's, that's who I am. Like, I just, that's just, but... There's one plaque I keep up. Can you see that one behind me? I can. What is it? What does it say? So that that plaque is from uh, Nutra High School. That's the high school I went to. That's the high school that kicked me out. That's the high school that told me I wasn't going to be anything. Um, that's the high school that sent me into the world uh, reading at an elementary level. And in 2000, and, uh, I think it was seven, 17, they inducted me into the high school hall of honor. So that plaque you see is up in the rotunda at the main campus uh, on campus. So this plaque is a reminder of where I came from and all the people that helped me get to where I'm at today. That's the only plaque that matters to me right there because that plaque is you know speaks of Coach Carpenter, Coach Taviano, Coach Barfield, uh, Mr. Goldstein, the Brodskys, the the Ms. Theodore. Um, uh, all the teachers who, 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 I, who I had throughout, you know, my, my career, uh, Ms. Pearson, um, Mr. Pearson, all the people, Mr. Zarebny, all the teachers who I'm naming off, I know I'll probably forget a few, all a part of that. You know, um, also, you know, Dr. Kitts, Dr. Nash, Mike Flanagan, Dr. S uh, Sylvester, um, you know, Dr. Uh, Graham, Steve Graham, who was on my dissertation committee, uh, Dr. Barley, you know, Dr. Caldwell, Dr. Wolf, people that believed in me, Dr. Julie Washington, people that, you know, took time out their, their day to help me, regardless if it was my high school 
undergrad, master's, or PhD, Dr. McDevitt, like all the people who I had that 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 speaks to them because they were the part of helping me get to where I'm at today. Yeah, I, I take the credit because I had to do all the work, but I can't remember the people that helped me get to where I'm at today. So I'm always thankful and I always speak that because without my family, my wife, my mother, you know, I would not be who I am today. So I always give gratitude to those that laid down, paved the way for me to move forward, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I feel so, so much gratitude. Um, but I, that's wonderful because what that, what that reminds you of is all the people who believed in you, right? Yes. I mean, it, it, I, I tell kids all the time, I'm not going to sit here and tell you uh, something that I have not done or experienced before. So even in my adult learning class, I tell students, everything I teach you, I'm a student of, like I, I'm actually a student of, and I've studied it. So I have street credit. I'm not just going to tell you something, you know, because a book tells me to tell you. No, I'm going to tell you because I've lived it before. And I tell students, you know, younger, failure is my friend. Failure has made me who I am today. Um, it's like a little train, choo-choo. I think I can't, like, no matter what I come across, I got to try. And if I fail, okay, I fail, big deal. Keep moving. Like, it's not the end of the world. It's not a make or break it, you know, but if I don't try, that to me is worse than um, trying and then not passing. Like if I don't do it at all, then, you know, I, I kind of down on myself. So that's why I always um, try new challenges uh, for my own mental health. You know, I, I, um, I like to bike. I don't bike just 20 miles uh, in one sitting. It's very uh, difficult for me to do that. I like to bike 100 miles at a time. So, um, you know, I've done last October to raise awareness on dyslexia and to honor Dr. Nash's life and to bring awareness of mental health. Um, I biked um, 175 miles. So I biked from Oshkosh, Wisconsin to Evanston, Illinois one day. And so um, I, I just bike. I like to get out and just go because it reminds me of my own journey of, of perseverance and, you know, pushing through and not giving up and believing in myself and having the ability to finish strong and you know, no matter how tired I am, I got to keep pushing through. And um, that's the same thing with life with learning to read is that, you know, sometimes you just got to push through and you got to, you got to believe in yourself and you got to, got to keep moving. You just, you know, you got to stay on the ropes. You got to, you know, uh, and so I know I'm talking too much. I'll be quiet. No, Sorry. That's, no, I love it. And, you know, the fact, you know, I love what you said about failure being a friend. Um, because I do think sometimes we, we don't acknowledge that for our kids. We want, you know, Failure is a great teacher, and it not only teaches us, you know, to persevere, but it also keeps us humble. Um, and sometimes I think we we don't let our kids fail enough, perhaps. Um, yeah. Yes, I mean, e e e e and what, and I'm what sorry? a great role model you are for your boys, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, um, somebody came to me afterwards, my TED talk, and they said, "You're too humble." <laughs> And I was like, well, you know, that's just who I am. You know, I, I've, 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 um, I just, you know, I've had a, you know, uh, just a rough, rough path, you know, academically. Um, and so I'm just very humbled and thankful for all the opportunities I've been given. And uh, I'm grateful for those that helped me. And I'm grateful to be in the position to serve. And service is, to me is not, you know, publishing articles and trying to please people in the academy. My service is, is trying to help people 
get out of dark places in their life where they're struggling reading and they don't know how to crack a code and you know they're psychologically damaged in a in a dark place that to me that's service that's to me is application to me that's everything i've done to this point um you know and maybe one day maybe i'll write about it in a publication maybe i'll i'll, I'll write in a peer review or edit a book but right now um I'm, I'm okay with just being able to be in the position to serve and to help students um navigate this 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 place of you know literacy um because literacy has different forms and shapes and i just want to be able to help them you know and uh, even with tracy and her blog you know about you know the prison the pipeline underserved communities you know um that's real and even you think about um the reservations native americans right um you think about suburban kids like i mean it, it crosses all lines but we know that some students from some communities are neglected, you know. Um, we talk about cultural capital, social capital, um, financial capital. All these capitals play a part in students um, accessing this information, this knowledge, and it's controlled. It's controlled this way. And so, being able to be in a position of leadership at the community college and not get questioned about what practice theory, if I'm doing whole language, phonics, like just be able to serve and give access to these these adult learners. It's, it's it's rewarding. Like if I die tomorrow, my life will be fulfilled. Like I'm 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 blessed. Like I'm I have everything that I need right in front of me. I don't need it anymore. Um, and so this is what the access is and affordability at the community college is. My class is free. They made it free because I told them I don't want you to charge an adult learner an extreme amount of money who can't afford it. And so it's accessible and it's affordable. Uh, and so the community college worked with me and um, they're doing great things. I have a great president. I have a great provost. I have a great dean. You know, I have a great chair. I have some great colleagues. And we are changing literally the, the, the narrative of how adult learners are taught to read at community college in Wisconsin. You know, I think that is going to be incredibly interesting to those people who are, who are tuning into this podcast um, you know, the work that you're doing, the course that you've created, I think that will be incredibly interesting to people. Um, as will, of course, your Dr. Dyslexia Dude. And by the way, I know you go into schools dressed up as Dr. Dyslexia Dude. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've dressed up, you know, people are like, you're too old dressing up in those tight, tight pants, you know, tight suit. But I tell them it's about the kids, you know, if it puts a smile on the kid's face and it gives them the imagination to dream, like a like a book does, then I then I'm okay with that. Oh, they must love it. They must absolutely love it. Yeah, I get some questions asking me if I could jump out the window and fly. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, one kid said. One kid said, uh, "Doctor, this last year, dude, can you jump out the window and show us that you can fly?" And I said, "I said not today." He goes, "You're not. You're not real then." <laughs> <laughs> Come on, kid, work with me, you know? Yes, I'm like, you're not real, but yes, yes. So, um, so you're working on, you're working on volume three um, of Dr. Dyslexia Dude, and you're working, you're a full-time reading instructor at Madison College. Um, is there anything else you're working on that you want to let us know about? Um, well, I'm, my, my wife and my team are actually, um, I think you gave us feedback. Uh, we're working on uh, a Dr. Dyslexia Dude supplemental um a game for uh for for kids um 
you know, it's just hard right now trying to find funding for it, you know, and, um, but, uh, you know, we, we've sent out an early stage prototype um, to, to people to get feedback and we've, we've um, received some amazing feedback um, from, from users and we're trying to build uh, more people to get feedback from. So we're just really trying to, you know, change the game and um, make things accessible through a, a, a game. And so, um, you know, we have a, uh, working on a doctor dyslexia do um, a supplemental multi-sensory instructional game um, that um, students can develop their own avatar and characters that, you know, resemble who they are. And so, um, you know, that's one thing we're working on too. And um, I guess I got my, my hands in a lot of different hats. You do, you do. Now, are you working on that um, with your co-author, your wife, and also the illustrator that's uh, they're working on the books? Yeah, my wife, and we have a, a, some other team members um, that we've brought on board to help us uh, with it, um, a, a, a game developer. Uh, but I get the, the, the hard part is, is really right now is, um, finding um, the capital to build out. You know, we, we've received some small business grants um, and we developed this early stage prototype with limited functionality. And uh, I just got into a, uh, a rigorous business bootcamp um, through a UW system. And so we're just trying to find either partners, you know, or um, people that want to help us, uh, you know, scale this and get out there to, 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 to kids and test it and see what type of feedback we get. That's fantastic. So um, if, if people who are listening to this want to know more about your game, is this on your Dr. Dyslexia Dude website? Um, not, no, it's, it's on my, my other um, um, uh, website, Dr. Sean Anthony Robinson. Uh, but they, you know, if they're interested, they can just email me too, you know? All right, people, yeah, if people are listening to this and they're intrigued by that or want to know more or maybe want to partner with you, um, we'll put your website in the show notes so they can get a hold of you. Yeah, good. Well, you are a busy man, and I am so grateful that you took the time to speak with us today and to share your important work and to share your compelling story and your, you know, motto, you know, just keep moving forward, choo-choo. So, you know, and, um, you know, I tell people, um, I love Kim. I, and my wife said, who's Kim? And I said, keep it moving. Keep it moving. K-I-M, <laughs> Kim. And, she's, and she looked at me and she's like, okay, well, you know, when I say Kim, you know, she thinks it's a, a lady, but I'm like, no, keep it moving. Acronym, keep it moving. So, um, you know, I just got to, in life, you just got to keep moving. I love it. Who's Kim? Yeah. And, and she said, she looked at me, she's like, who's Kim? I was like, I was like, you know, Kim, she's like, no, I was like, keep it moving. And she started laughing. <laughs> of course. So um, I, I have one last question for you, uh, Sean. What are your greatest hopes for today's children? Um, you know, they, they just get access, you know, to, to instruction, a methodology, however you want to frame it. Just access. Access is the key word that allows them to use their imagination, their creativity, to follow their dreams and walk in the purpose that they were given and just have hope in their life that they themselves can live a fulfilled life and not go through life knowing that shoulda, coulda, woulda, and just having opportunities. And, and I think about hope, 
I think about this, help, the H, you know, regardless of what we do, we're helping people and people are helping us, right? We're teachers of reading. We're helping kids crack the code, but we're also, the kids are helping us understand how to teach reading, right? So it's reciprocal. The O is for opportunity. Every kid needs an opportunity. And by helping them crack the code, we're giving them an opportunity to crack the code, right? And then the P is progress. We get to see them manifest and speak into life to crack the code and kill the board. And you tell them what's the first sound you hear and, you know, cat or, you know, or one syllable word or multi-syllable word. And they get it one letter at a time, one syllable at a time. They're making progress, right? And so the help, the opportunity, the progress are all important elements of the hope. But the biggest one is the E, which is empowered. You're empowering people, right? You can't take the empowerment away from anybody. Once they've empowered, they become they become liberated. They're 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 awoke. You know, they they are able to speak things into existence. They're able to do things independently. They don't they don't need to rely on somebody else to to, to do things for them. And in some situations, some kids, when you empower them, they become a threat because they become critically conscious of how the world works and how the world treats certain subclass of individuals. And so when I speak to people, sometimes people say, you're an angry black man or you're a threat because Dr. Nash woke me up. He empowered me to become free thinking, educated, and allow me to see the world the good in the world, but also the bad in the world too. And so those three things is giving kids hope, help, opportunity, progress, empowerment. Those are essential to learning to read. I don't care about what framework or, or where you came from. If you don't have a relationship with any kid, you won't, you won't be able to help them. You won't be able to give them opportunity. You won't be able to make, make them get progress. You won't be able to empower them if you don't have a relationship and those things are essential before you even get into the science of reading. You gotta build relationships. You gotta meet students where they're at. You gotta respect their communities. You gotta respect their cultural capital. You gotta really put yourself in their shoes. So when you think about kids, I think about helping them, you know, give them opportunities, progress, empowerment. And that's what we try to do through the kids books. And that's what I try to do at the community college. And that's what I try to do with my own kids It's just, Give people hope. And um, I don't know if that's if that helps. I don't know. I kind of rambled on there a little bit. Just went on the tangent. That is the, I think that is the perfect way for us to end our conversation today. Help, opportunity, progress, empowerment. Amen. Yes. I feel like I'm in church. I should uh, send a tithe, a tithe offering around, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, Thank you. really. Oh, Thank you're welcome. You. I mean, you're welcome. Thank you so much for this time today. I really appreciate it. Really, this has been, um, it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful conversation and I really appreciate you. And, and thank you for the work that you're putting out there in the world. Oh, uh, you're welcome. You know, I just, uh, it, it's what, what uh, was divine intervention that had, you know, when uh, I was born and, uh, you know, Dr. Nash was really, doctor, you know, other people I had really helped me find my voice and place in this this world and and um i'm just gonna keep 
doing what I do and not try to look for acceptance or approval for anybody in the academy. Uh, and uh, you're on the path. You're on your path. Yeah, you know, and um, choo choo, you know, Mister. That's it. A little train, choo choo. Yep, just keep 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 moving forward. That's right. Thanks again. I really appreciate. You're welcome. It. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye. I am sure that you were moved by Sean's compelling story as I was. Um, just so much gratitude for all of his work now and his work in the future. Thank you, Sean. And thank you for listening and for your ongoing support of The Reading League. Please be sure to go to our website, www.thereadingleague.org, and check out our latest initiatives, including our Science of Reading, a Defining Movement, and our accompanying Defining Guide, which is designed to really clarify the science of reading and bring a call to action to change the face of literacy in this country. And be sure to download that guide and share it with others. So we appreciate you and all you do. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.